Hey, 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 everybody, what's up? Welcome to another episode of A Power of Pops, coming to you live, not really, from Gainesville, Florida, and we appreciate you checking in with us this evening. Uh, tonight I have a band, um, I came across them on Reverb Nation, and took a listen, saw that they were from Boston, liked the sound. Uh, as a 49 year old, uh, who pretty much tries to listen to everything new and old, um, they were a band that caught my ear and there was just something about them that just kind of, they kind of, it hit me right. And I just had to get to know these guys or at least one of them this evening. And, uh, he was kind enough to join me. His name's Scott Ferguson and the band is underdog and they are from Boston and uh, from Boston and uh, Boston. <laughs> Boston and uh, thank you so much for joining me tonight not a problem Jason my pleasure to be here wow it's uh, I've been I've been trying to do this a lot more getting uh, newer bands and bands that I haven't heard of before uh, on the show just to kind of continue the uh, historical um, power power behind music and how it changes over time and how it uh, progresses and how it has progressed, you know, even in the six years that I've just been doing the show and talking to sure. different bands that I've talked to, you know. And um, yeah. again, thank you for joining me and thank you for playing the music you're playing. I want to say that as well. It's uh, cool. to me, it's some pretty Boston rock and roll. Um, that that's what it reminds me of, because I used to live in Boston. I'm I'm up, I'm from up north. It reminds me of a northern rock band. And you guys, I don't know how, how many total songs do you guys have on your site? Uh, the the uh, the site at the moment, I believe it's. Got a thirteenth song because thirteen is cool. Uh, what we have is a uh, uh, an album, uh, Ether Dome, that we just released about three months ago. It's a twelve okay, song cool. album, and uh, we just started to post up some new song. Well, a new song, first one from the next album we're working on. And wow. uh, so, COVID, you know, I've you got guys about have just been really trying to bust out as much uh, music as possible. Absolutely. Um, and it's uh, primarily myself at the moment and my friend Bring Carlson. Okay. Uh, we've known each other for a, a long, long time. And, uh, you know, when I met Bryn, he was primarily a drummer and studying guitar as well. I was a bass player with, you know, bigger aspirations, songwriting. And uh, he's a phenomenal lead guitar player. He's an animal as a drummer. Um, I'm sort of filling the rhythm slot. We're both writing songs. Um, and, you know, we've sort of got as our own little nuclear band unit there. Uh, we've had a couple of friends, Aaron Heller and Harry McKenzie, who have respectively playing bass and drums, helped us out playing live. Aaron's a fantastic guitar player on his own. Uh, he's actually my cousin. We've been in a number oh, wow. of bands together. Bren and I have been in a number of bands together over the years. Uh, sort of first came in contact with him back in the early 80s, actually. And, oh, wow. um, you know, we've, uh, you know, been in two or three different bands, you know, recorded some stuff. Some of it's been 45s and okay. gotten the rest in out. But uh, Underdog's about sort of five, six years old, about okay. the same length of time you've been doing this show. Wow. So, okay, then, um, which this always interests me. I'm a sociology guy. I went to call, I went to school for it. So I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little sociology stuff here. So are sure. you, are, are you in, are you both original Bostonians? Uh, were you both born in Boston? Um, I was born in Boston. Bryn is actually originally from the DC area. Oh, wow. And. Again, I think he moved up here uh, 
in the early 80s. I know he'd been playing in a band, Secret Word, up here okay. uh, before I met him. And um, I don't know exactly what his you know, timetable of moving into the area was. Yeah. But, um, you know, he, so he's got a whole lot of stuff that um, in his musical background from the D.C. area and playing in the scene down there. Okay. Um, so he sort of brings that element into it. Uh, but yeah, and you know, you, you and I were talking the other night trying to set this up and, um, I've got some ties to New Hampshire myself, just, um, that, you know, it, you know, it's an interesting thing, you know, when you do hear music coming from various areas of the country and it's not like I necessarily can peg it right away, but once you find out someone's from an area and you go, oh, yeah, it sounds like they sort of suffer through yeah. long, harsh, cold <laughs> winters. Or, yeah, man, that sounds like they're sitting yeah. on a beach and just enjoying the rays, kick yep. back. Yes, and there's sure. a time time and place for all of it, that's you know. The, that's all the California punk bands. <laughs> right, you know. Um, and, uh, and oddly enough, a guy that... A guy that played drums with us for a number of years, um, Bryn introduced him to me and Aram, and uh, you know we had a pretty successful career for about four or five years in the mid to late '80s, and then he ended up moving down to the Largo, Florida area. Oh, so, okay. you know, so I used to go down and visit him there afterwards, and always had a good time down there. But um, as a Bostonian, you know, what do you think Florida's? Uh, I I've asked this question to a lot of people that still live up north and in other areas that play music and travel. Do you find Florida to be what uh, mainstream media paints Florida to be? Um, You know, it's hard to say because, you know, I would go down there and the fact that he'd been living there so long, he took me to all the places that a local would take you to um, again. You know, he played in bands when he got down there. Um, granted, his, you know, he was always a little distraught because he had been involved in original rock bands while he was up in Boston, and then it sort of okay. became more cover stuff down there, um, which, as he said, he was living off of it, which was something he was never able to do up here. Right. Uh, but he took me around to, like, some of these clubs and places that he played, Um you know, I remember going over to Ybor City with him a couple of times, yes. and that was, you know, a place where you actually <laughs> saw stuff. Well, some original bands or national yeah. acts came through there, and yeah. it was a fantastic city. It had an awesome vibe. It really reminded me a lot of New Orleans, and, um, you know, that's a, yeah. a fantastic city with its, obviously, its own identity, but... Um, you know, I've got a sister that lives out in the San Francisco area. And, you know, that's, you know, right. A, a city with a Pretty rich killer. heritage music. Um, yeah. Some friends that are from the Chicago area. Nice. You know, had its heyday. Um, and, yeah, you know, we must even know, L.A. We probably know. know a lot of people that we don't realize that we probably know. <laughs> yeah, common friends, yes, right. You know, it's one of those sure. things. What? Oh, the more um, I've done this, the more I've realized the music world is a lot smaller than I thought it was, even in this, even in the genre of like people who are between the ages of like 30 and 50, you know, that that was around during like the beginning of emo, you know, like when Jimmy Eat World put out their first album, stuff like that. So it's like, it's funny. See, just watching the world get smaller and smaller, the more bands that I talk to. And it's, uh, it's, I'm glad you were brought up Ybor City because I grew up in Sarasota before I moved to Gainesville. I, I moved to Gainesville to be a roadie for my friend's band, and I had to get out, uh-huh. of, get out of Sarasota, and this was like 1994. So oh, wow. We, okay, we, yeah, right. We right all moved up here in 94. The band took off pretty quickly. Uh, the band's actually still together. They actually just put out some new music. They've awesome. toured the world multiple times. The drummer plays in this band and in a, another. Uh, actually, he plays in a very famous Boston band called the Bouncing Souls. And uh, uh-huh, yeah. George Rebello, the drummer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's he was the best man at my wedding. He's like my best friend. He's a great. <laughs> cool. Yeah, he's he's. I was I was Hot Water Music's first roadie. I was lucky enough to be in that position 
to see the early days and uh, be a part of it because I was friends with all of them before we moved up to Gainesville. So I saw them in old bands before they all became Hot Water Music, which was a very, yeah. uh, which was an amazing, uh, which I really wish I had technology that we have now back then because I would have videotaped like everything on my phone the whole time. <laughs> Cause the, you sure. Know, yeah. Doc, yeah. Document the thing up close and personally. Tours, we were kind of, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you saw the same stuff. Like you were able to be a part of that as well. Yeah. We were fortunate. Um, you know, it, uh, had a video camera to document, you know, a bunch of these bands that, you know, we were in either together or separately, awesome. you know, Bryn played in another band, the time beings for a while. And, you know, the world of distortion band that I was in the, with Aram and Glenn, who the Glenn's the fellow that moved to Florida, you know, yeah, yeah. we'd be on the same bill together. So, you know, you know, I would videotape the time beings, Sorry. Bryn would videotape the world of distortion. Um, you know, it's one of those things at the time you think it's awesome. You go back, you look now, the performances are great. The, quality of the video compared to you know what you can shoot on your phone today is obviously a little less than but i like it though yeah. i still i still like the lo-fi that's why i still do interviews over the phone is because yep. it reminds me <laughs> it reminds me of listening to interviews on the radio sure you know uh, like when that's all you yeah it's got that nice lo-fi lo-fi feel to it <laughs> it's still it's still pretty much the same thing you know you see you know people got their phone plugged into their ear it's the same way i remember listening to even to like am radio you know with yep. the, you know the radio under the pillow the earpiece in at night so that no one knew that you know they thought you were asleep but you're not no um it's you know and it, it sort of gets back to what you were talking about there too with um you know, the songs and the music and, you know, we are constantly, you know, recording stuff. I mean, we've got a huge backlog of songs between the two of us. Yeah. Um, I know I'm sitting on probably a, literally a couple of hundred songs and, um, wow. you know, so for us trying to get stuff up and onto the site there, whether it's Reverb Nation or our, uh, you know, our own website there yeah. and just get the music out is it's a really a, a primary purpose for us at this point. And uh, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, that whole do it yourself thing. Yeah. Uh, and it is, you know, it's been a very much a do it yourself thing because, you know, we're uh, learning pro tools. We were recording at Bryn's studio at his home and that's where everything for you know, Ether Dome was recorded there and okay. we got it finished recording. Um, and then obviously, you know, the world turned on its ear um, <laughs> earlier this year. And, you know, suddenly we weren't able to it's like just nice get together. But, yeah. Well, it, it's, ho it's hopefully going to write it. The ship will write itself yeah. and, you know, we'll be able to get back to doing things like playing live music and stuff. But in the meantime, you know, I had to go out and get myself, you know, all the gear and set myself up yeah. with a studio here in the basement. And yeah. I took care of running, you know, a lot of the final mixes of the album there. And since then, you know, set to work, I've got like 20 songs tracked out already and ready to hand over to Bryn. And, you know, the, the newest song, Regeneration, which is the one that's not actually on the album, okay. it was sort of our first test of how is this going to work if this situation continues for a while longer and i was able to like lay down you know my guitar's bass you know a rough idea of a drum track for him throw my vocal on there pass it over to him he was able to like put in his drum track um lay on his lead guitars bounced it back i mixed it and you know released it the next day sort of thing so nice. uh it's uh you know it's a uh, great thing to sort of i guess in some ways have complete control over this stuff and be able to you know not worry about going through the, the steps that we used to which was hey man going into the studio paying someone a fair chunk of change to record yeah. this thing um and then having to wait through either gigging or you know the the day job money to be able to afford the pressing of the record right. and then the distribution of the record and you know, all of it, you know, takes 
time and money and time is money. And, you know, suddenly, you know, with the click of a button on a computer, um, you know, all this music's uploaded to iTunes and Amazon Music and Spotify. And um, it's just suddenly out there in the world. And, you know, that's somewhat fascinating to me. Uh, I am very much like you said, a kind of a lo-fi guy. I appreciate the really down and dirty stuff. Uh, You know, I don't want to speak for Bryn. He's definitely, I think, got some slightly more refined or definitely what I would say is a wider breadth of um, musical, just the sort of genres that he either is interested in experiments around with and, you know, bring some of that in, which is great. You know, um, not that I'm totally one dimensional, but I think I know what my limitations are, especially as a, a guitar, as a guitar player. It's like, no, I'm not going to, you know, I don't player, dilute so I myself. Way, so. <laughs> right. And again, you know, I, I came from that bass playing thing, which is awesome too, because as I'm writing songs, a lot of times I'm writing them with that bass mm-hmm. in mind and the bass is sometimes really the most, important instrument there um i never it's thought it the was when i was playing that was the weirdest part i thought i was the most unimportant part of my band for the longest time because i wasn't very confident as a musician so i always well, felt, i always felt like my bass playing was just kind of like my my two friends who knew how to play were nice being nice to me you know and they were letting me do it and then i go back and listen to it and i was like oh shit i was actually playing like the right stuff like i was too hard on myself as a i guess as someone who loved all types of music i was trying to equate myself to the the other bass players that i respected in life so i i I was i wasn't like very fair to myself as a musician and being so young you know, like, I don't know if you ever had to deal with that, but I know other, mu- you know, like it just, it was a weird thing for me to go back 15 years later and be like, oh shit, that was actually pretty good. You know, like. Well, absolutely. I mean, the the very first band I was in, I mean, I was really in the process of learning the instrument. I mean, I had my musical training goes back to very young, you know, playing piano from like first oh, grade on. Okay. Yeah. Studying studied trumpet for a number of years up through high school and early college. (laughs) Yeah. So knew all that stuff, but you know, playing bass is like a different thing and you know, you're playing in a rock band and there's a a sense of performance and energy that's far different from, you know, playing in an ensemble, whether it's a jazz band or a Mm -hmm. orchestra or a marching band or something like that. And the idea that, yeah, I felt like I was, somewhat learning on the job and, you know, the evolution of my, you know, playing is kind of documented over these recordings by these earlier bands that I was in. Uh, You know, the great thing, as I always say, is, you know, I've never written anything I can't play. Um, Sometimes I've written stuff that I can imagine, like phenomenal guitar work going on, but I've always had someone like Aram or Bryn um, you know, I've known Brent for so long. It's like anytime I'm writing songs, as much as I'm thinking, ah, the bass will be carrying the melody and doing this, I'm thinking, and Brent will be doing this sort of stuff, or I can hear these sort of drum fills going on because of Brent, or I can hear the sort of, you know, guitar work that I'm imagining. I can't play it, but I can imagine it. And I, yeah. you know, I can articulate that to whomever it's going to be laying down that part. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's very sort of satisfying thing to hear it all sort of, you know, come together. And it's funny because you can have these guitars grinding along. Uh, you can even have the drums on there, but like, it's sort of weird the moment that the bass suddenly drops into the recording that it sort of snaps and becomes a whole thing really. So I've, I've never dismissed the bass and it's the same thing. You know, you may have all the guitars and bass recorded and it's like the drums end up being the last thing that get popped on there. Right. Although we generally, it's, it's a lot better to have the drums early just for, you know, that timekeeping aspect. Yes. But, you know, anytime there's an element of the band missing, it's always seems like the last piece that gets dropped in there makes the song, the recording of the song anyway, whole and complete. And, um, 
and it's always cool, you know, because you know there's no straight up formula for yeah. how the songs are written or recorded. Even they just um, somewhat take on a life of their own, and each one's approached somewhat individually as it may need to be. Some of them are recorded literally in a day. You know, I yeah. show up and go, "Hey, man, this song." I was really well prepared, had the song, the lyrics memorized, was able to like knock off my part, um, get the bass down, get the vocals down, he would get the drums laid down. And, you know, if he had like lightning strike on the guitar, he was able to come up with something or potentially a song he knew and had already practiced up. And we were able to right. go in and record it in a day or maybe a song he had written would be a great example. A lot of times, you know, we would want to, really take time with those lead parts and you know there were times where we come back two three times before he was really satisfied and that's always been really important because i might go that's fucking fantastic dude it's great (laughs) no it can be better it's not what i'm imagining and you know i'm not going to sit there and tell anybody well i think it's great and that's good enough you know i'm i'm going to make sure that he's not going to sit there and listen to it every time for the rest of his life and have some regrets that it should have been better. So, um, so how many bands have you been in total up to this point? Uh, up to this point, let's, let's see. Uh, we've got the trots. We've got the world of distortion dog and the acid bunnies, which is a project that I've got a lot of recordings that have never seen the light of day, but Plan too soon. The Hatmasters was a group that Bryn, Glenn, and I were in. Okay. Um, and that, that was a point where Bryn stepped from behind the drum kit. Um, he was the primary songwriter. Uh, this would have been around 86, 7 or so till wow. about 88, 89. Um, and we had a, a 45 out. Um, Aram and I started a record company, Stanton Park Records, back around 1980. That, oh, shit. Um, okay. Yeah, it was what we, because we had a record, we wanted to put the record out. It seemed like the best way to do it was do it yourself, Um, you know, um, made the covers ourselves, you know, um, all this stuff that um, slowly, you know, Aram actually had a fairly good run with the record label, um, not just putting out records by our bands, you know, friends, you know, close right. to us. I think he put out a 45 by Brian Jonestown Massacre, oh, um, the Bags, who were yeah. a huge yeah, band in Boston back in that same period of time. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he was working that for a good number of years. I believe that label is still somewhat in existence although not necessarily putting out new records at this point um but uh let's see so the hackmasters uh you know aram vindicieclo uh, is a band i put together in that sort of 90s period that you were talking about right. where you know brent and i were sort of back in contact so he came in as the drummer and aram was playing guitar and were you guys doing um, that? Just out of just a curious, did you ever listen to that band Stompbox? Uh yes. Did yes. you? Did you? Okay, uh, you laughed. I was. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I just just loved. I always loved the name, you know, because like, yeah. you know a Stompbox, Stomp right? Box. You know, because that like that was one of the only like Northeast bands from that area that I knew of. And I, you know, I'm from Florida, like, um, I was, you know, in 90, 91, it was, you know, Faith No More was big, you know, like, they were just starting out, you were getting to listen to Faith No More and all these other new bands, Dinosaur Jr. was coming along, yep, uh, yep. then all of a sudden you get hit by, real. to me, not to diss Dinosaur Jr. or any of these other bands, but for me... When bands like Jawbox, when I started listening to Jawbox and Shudder to Think, and uh, bands like Elliot, uh, even the the first two two albums of Jimmy World are like pretty crazy for super young guys. I think like yeah. the, how well they're written, um, like bands like that, like really like um, Hum. I loved Hum. Uh-huh. 
they won't do this show because they said they're too socially awkward, even though it's over the phone, which is, <laughs> which is my favorite excuse to not want to be on a podcast. But, uh, but no, like, like you, me and you seem to be around the same age almost. So you're, you're, uh, you're the way you're talking about things. Like I'm starting, things are connecting even harder with me. So it, this is a, so what was your, like in the nineties when you were touring, what bands were you like? Were you touring with bands from Boston? Were you just like lo- just touring around the country? Like, what was your thing? Did you start touring back in the eighties? Like, how, what was your touring like? Touring, unfortunately for us, has been pretty restricted to the New England, New York City sort of area. You know, we always had sort of these hopes of getting even like an East coast tour, like right down to, you know, where you are. Yeah. But, you know, it, it seems like, you know, for having been in so many bands, um, you know, even after the fin sort of like lasted through the nineties. And then there's a band, uh, Vatican sex kittens in the early O's. And each of these bands seem to like have a four or five year, life cycle in them so it's like almost at the point that we would have been embarking sort of outside of our backyard it you know things ceased to happen for you know any number of reasons so um up to portland maine a lot you know out in worcester area of massachusetts boston primarily playing around you know a lot of clubs and watching clubs come and go around here, down into Providence, a couple places in Connecticut, um, New York City, you know, handful of times with a few different bands. But it's, you know, our hope at this point is, and, you know, Brent and I have been talking about this, is the idea of trying to get ourselves a full-time bass player, drummer, um, People that are really interested in, you know, potentially hitting the road. We're actually a little bit older than you, but um, that does not stop us from still having, you know, ambitions of no, of anything. You know, my uh, my wife loves saying, you know, she says, if you didn't know how old you were, how old would you think you were? And you know, as far as that goes, <laughs> I think we both still sort of feel like we're like eighteen years old. And uh, you know, for us. Um, you know, the whole getting this first record out for us has been, you know, really thrilling and an exciting experience because, you know, like anytime you put, you know, whether it's a 45 or a CD or an album or whatever it may be out with any band, it's an exhilarating experience because, you know, you've sort of given life to this thing and mm-hmm. you can't wait to sort of see what happens with it. Uh, this is a rare instance for, I think, both of us where, you know, I remember telling him, okay, dude, you know, I just dropped it. It's there. It's out there. And I said, so uh, let's get working on the next record. Yeah. You know, not, not not to brush it aside, but it's like there's, you know, our real focus is now like getting to starting to record the new stuff because we've been living with some of these songs um, recorded wise for two to three years, you know, and it's wow. funny, there were a couple of them. Yeah. Well, you know, we'd get a song recorded. Um, there were even a couple of them that we were like, Oh, you know, I forgot we recorded this. And we just like sit down and listen to it. And we go, Oh my God, that actually sounds really awesome. Yeah. Um, something, something that I thought, well, you know, it was probably a good, you know, demo session and we can go back and fix up anything we need to on it. And then listening to it, we were both like, wow, guitar's really awesome or that vocal's actually good that's a good take you know um so you know there were some surprises like that along the way some of the songs took a lot longer than we did anticipate um in order to get things done uh there were a couple of periods of time you know Bryn was actually studying at berkeley to get some training in pro tools just to improve what our skill set was there so you know we'd have like four or five months where we weren't able to get together on such a regular basis. And I'm just, he's, you know, got a couple of young kids. Well, not young kids. They're in college now. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, life sort of takes a precedent at points so that 
if we could get together, you know, three, four times a month, we were doing really well and feeling like we had the ball all rolling. So on those days when like, yeah, we could walk in in a day and get a song recorded and even a, a rough mix with it. And we'd pop it up. We'd share it with, you know, our friends and fans, yeah. you know, on Reverb Nation, as you pointed out, that's how we connected there. Um, but we've got a SoundCloud account. It's, you know, where yeah. I go to listen to your podcasts. And thank you um, for yeah, no, you're welcome. You know, it's fascinating. I mean, that interview you scored with Ian the other day from Minor Threat, huge dude. Um, I think, you know, I, band I, I think that was the one interview out of all the ones I've seen him in. Like, he actually, it was more of a personal, like, you got more personal stuff out of, like, I was able to, because this is, this is what it's about. We're all artists. We're all in the same, doing the same thing. We're creating, we're sharing ourselves as human beings with other human beings to make them feel good and to create a community as human beings. That's Absolutely. How, you know, that's, that's how I feel about art and music. That's, that's it completely. And yeah, and that that sort of sums up my life because you know that's you know I do art sort of by day, um, and uh, awesome. you know music by night. So my whole life sort of revolves in this sort of area that you're talking about. And it, it the great thing is in both those you know creative outlets, um, like many like writing or dance. Um, there's you know so many varieties and so many different ways of expressing yourself that it isn't just about, you know, one way is the only way. I mean, we happen to, yeah, pretty much be a sort of garage punk rock, really aggressive. It, it's guitar yes, it is. oriented rock, awesome. you know, it's like, let's make no bones about that. Um, you know, people that are expecting nice pop slick produced stuff may not, you know, find underdog to be their cup of tea. And, you know, we're not for everybody. And as much as we would like to be, we don't have any delusions that that's not the reality of it. Um, you know, the opening track on the album, you know, Brent and I were just discussing this earlier today. And I said, you know, it hits you hard. It opens up with a blazing guitar fanfare that, um, long before any singing happens and i said you know it really lets everybody know that you know this is what we're all about right. um if if you don't like it you don't have to necessarily suffer for the next 40 45 minutes whatever the duration of the album is you can move on if it's something that catches your ear and you mentioned that it caught your ear and to me like that's like one of those highest compliments you can get um, that this music without knowing us, you just heard this music and it spoke to you. And I thought, that's awesome. That's how you meet people that have that same sort of kindred spirit. And yeah. Um, yeah. it's, you know, we're hoping that, you know, then our attitude is these songs are good. They're great. It's one of the best group of recordings that I've been involved in. Right. I know that the next stuff is only going to get better just because we're getting more familiar with working with, you know, it's our first time working digitally. I guess we're, we're in control of recording it. You know, I've been in a couple of studios in the last 10 years that we're working in the digital realm rather than, you know, on tape, but, um, but just the fact that, you know, we're engineering and producing and performing and doing all of this ourselves. Um, you know, there's a big learning curve going on here, but yeah. uh, we're getting better at it. We're learning more of the ins and outs. Um, and again, you know, with any luck, this next group of songs, let's call them the next 12 to 14 songs will um, step up a little notch, whether just in the, production value quality um possibly in the songwriting who knows that was always evolving and changing and again you never know some of the songs that we're working on may have been written you know 10 20 years ago um if they still if they still seem vital and fresh and just you know they may have never gotten 
to see the light of day outside of performed on stage. And it's like, it's a great song. Why would, why would you not record it? You know, it's like, just cause it's quote an old song. It's like, no one's heard it, man. And it's like, but it's new, to, it's new if you haven't heard it. <laughs> That's right. And and if it's relevant and, it, and the main thing is, does it fit in with what we're doing? And even if it doesn't, it's like, you know what, let's record it, park it. And it can be there. You know, you've got the song recorded for whatever purpose you may, you know, maybe you'll be making a bring Carlson solo album at some point, right. you know? Um, and uh, it's, it's just a, a very freeing thing, I guess, because, um, you know, to be able to just like walk downstairs and start to lay down ideas. It's like my yeah, having a painting studio where you can go in and just throw paint on a canvas and, you know, be able to be creative, you know, for a writer. It's somewhat like keeping a journal and, you know, you can scratch out all these ideas and then the ones that really take hold and have substance, you can go, all right, this is a great demo. I should share this song with Bryn um, and let's see what happens with it. And it might be, ah, you know, there's some good parts about it. You know, maybe we can extract some of the music. Um, you know, there've been points when, you know, he came up, he mentioned like a, a song title. He goes, I've got this song and I've got like the first verse to it, but I just don't have any music. And uh, I was like, well, I can think of a melody to go with that, like right now, and you know, just sort of banged out like chords for him in a sense. And it's you know, it's an interesting way. Most of the songs, at least on either dome, are sort of solely written by one or the other of us because we've not had much time to sit and songwrite together. It's a a goal of ours to be able to do that, but so often it's like the limited amount of time we had together was spent doing the recording. The fact that we can now kind of record independently means we can actually spend our time together writing and, you know, hopefully again, starting to rehearse our, our big goal is to actually get some songs recorded to not stream live necessarily, but to, you know, record them with, you know, a full band performing and to be able to put them up on the stream so that, even if we can't be playing live in front of people, people can still enjoy some, you know, you live to, music. All you need to do is start your own YouTube channel and set it up and yep. set up the Patreon and you're good to go. Yeah, we, we've got that all That's set awesome. and we've you know, done some investigating into some streaming software and, yep. you know, it does, it does offer you both the live stream option as well as the ability to sort of you know, record. And again, we've got a couple of video cameras. So, you know, our, our goal is to sort of set up two or three things and be able to do some cross editing to, you know, make it a little more interesting. You know, it's the one thing, you know, those videos that I mentioned from back in the eighties that we shot, it was like one handheld camera or God forbid there was no one around. It's like right. placed onto a tripod and it's that static shot for 45 minutes. And it's like, okay. Um, Sometimes it's great because right. it's the only thing you've got. And especially the handheld ones, you know, um, you can do some really creative stuff if you're moving around constantly. And if you're knowledgeable about the songs, you know, you can make sure that you're actually focusing in on the singer while they're singing and the bass player or the drummer while they're doing their creative moments and the lead guitar player during their solos. But, um, you know, having multiple cameras and then being able to go back and, sort of edit something to share that uh is of you know again not necessarily high polished um what you might call mtv video you just garage it right exactly yeah it, it, it's did. a you know it's a garage band <laughs> i did i like i started a show but since covid happened i haven't been able to do it but I have a YouTube show, it's called Warehouse Sessions, where I go to a band's warehouse and they play three songs and then I interview them afterwards. Wow. And so That's... I've done two bands. One of them was Stunner. They were like a heavy metal band, like kind of like Judas Priest here in Gainesville. And uh -huh. uh, another one called Oof. That's on YouTube. Uh -huh. And 
I'm going to get that going again once everybody is not sick anymore because everyone down here keeps getting COVID because we're all service industry workers. So yep. Yep. Uh, people keep getting sick. Luckily, I have not been. I get tested all the time. It's me and my partner Good. do. So we've been smart about it. Always wear masks. And um, But no, it's, yeah, you could totally blow your stuff up just by setting up a music room you could invite bands to come play with you i mean it's like you have control of everything that you're doing now thanks to the technology you have the way of you know uh taking control of it as much as you want to which is which is the what i've been finding out is the coolest thing this to me i'm not quite i don't know how I could make money doing this podcast that, like I said, I've just been doing it out of pocket and just doing what I can. But like, it's really important that like, especially when bands like you are doing what you're doing and been around as long as you have, keep sharing, you know, get that, keep putting as much of that content out as possible. Cause people are, that's all people care about now is content, you know? Give them 10 minutes, boom, they're happy. Like, average viewership on YouTube for a video is 15 minutes. So it's like, yeah, they've done the analytics. Like, that's why people don't watch full comedies on specials. They only watch the clips on YouTube because they're shorter. It's still, that's kind of a fascinating piece of information. I mean, we're kind of fortunate being in that more let's call it the punk garage um vein of stuff because you know the average songs are those two and a half to three minutes yeah somebody's willing to give us 15 minutes they'll get to hear four or five songs in that period of time and and be able to make a you know a somewhat informed decision about you know do they want to hear more would they come back would they recommend it to people and like exactly We've already got this YouTube channel there. It's actually our YouTube channel, and then there's a YouTube music channel, which is just carrying the album. But okay. our YouTube channel has got like a couple of little things. You know, Brent and I recorded some stuff just on the iPhone, um, just sort of uh, some stopgap videos of okay. uh, some, uh, you know, kind of more cover songs. We're not too much into doing covers, you know, not that we're totally egomaniacs, but again, we've got this huge backlog of uh original material so you know for me it's always about getting that stuff out first it's great to play a cover or two when you're out live it does help connect you with an audience especially uh, potentially a room you're walking into for the first time or city you're visiting for the first time make some connection with these people let them know a little bit deeper about what you're all about but um Hot Water Music just put out a um, Stevie Wonder cover. Ha! Huh, wow. And that's awesome, too, that, yeah, especially when, you know, we used to do this amazing version of the Rhinestone Cowboy back in that's one of the earlier awesome. I would love it to was, that. <laughs> it, it was It was a brutal rendition of the song, uh, but it it had energy it was yeah um there i think there's unfortunately only live renditions but you know we uh we went for it you know with much gusto and um and it's it's that you know it's it's a fascinating thing because you know i remember we did it one of my best friends from art school was at the show and he came up to me and he goes goes i always think of my dad when i hear that song you know we'd be riding along the car when i was a kid and he just turned the radio up a little bit louder whenever it came on. It's just like one of his favorite songs. And I thought, well, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and you just never know how something like that is going to reach out and, uh, and, you know, t- you know, I guess just connect you with somebody. So, yeah. um, you know, kind of what you said, just about that idea of being in control, um, you know, just sort of, I guess, you know, manning our own social media sites, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, we're the ones that are writing any of the messages that go up there when people write 
we're the ones responding, you know, to any emails and stuff. So we don't have any sort of publicist or manager or anything like that. You know, believe me, we've gotten bombarded, um, you know, through uh, Reverb Nation or people on Twitter. Hey, you know, we can promote your record and do this, that, and the other, and they want money for it. And it's like, you know. You're all full of shit. Most likely, that's the, the, the takeaway that we get. And it's like, you know, they're promising not the world, but they're, when you step back and look at it and you go, well, that's, you know, in a sense, not anything that honestly being on this podcast with you is going to expose us to probably as many people as any of these things right. would do. Um, and none of them have necessarily any guaranteed results, but if right. there's one person listening tonight, and I know that we're not broadcasting live, I'm gonna but, load it you know, tomorrow afternoon when I get off of work. So, and I'll awesome. You, you know, it so you can post it wherever you want to. Cool. Yeah, no, we'll definitely share it across all of our social media, post it on our website. Yeah. Awesome. You know, the website, just for anybody that wants to go find underdog, it's really simple to find us. We're underdog.rocks. You type type that into your browser. You'll find everything you need to know. The links to, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our YouTube channel, and all there. Um, are you guys streaming? Selling, are you guys selling any merch online or anything? Do you guys have any T-shirts or anything? Uh, odd you should ask. T-shirts are due to be delivered. Um, I believe Saturday, although I just sort of got a notification. They're coming up from Georgia and uh, got an email <laughs> before I hopped on with you. The weather might delay them slightly, yeah, but a um, little, <laughs> little bit of snow just rolled into town here, but you don't miss that. Um, mm -hmm. But but those are coming in. We've got um, you know some stickers and uh, some pins and stuff like that. You know, we started out with the smaller. Again, I you know, have a pin making kit, so they're made keep at home simple. pins, you keep know. It simple. So yeah. keep, keep it, it simple, do it yourself. And uh, you know, uh, we got a newsletter there, you sign up for that newsletter, free stuff, offers coming your way just by being a fan of underdog and you know, hopefully, you know, I I'd love to have another conversation with you down the road, point sure. when we could have Bryn in on this yeah, and definitely. um you know, and see, you know, hopefully what's grown or changed. Um, you know, it took us a while to get that first record done, but you know, I, me being overly optimistic, I was like, Hey man, by the spring, we should be able to release a second album and then a third album next fall. And the fourth album, I mean, I, like I said, I've got like six albums worth of songs written and that's not even counting his stuff in there. So, um, you know, and I would never do anything as obnoxious as putting out like a double album. I'd rather just <laughs> keep it. And it's sort of too much to take in, I think. Um, you, you know, it's one, thing, you know <laughs> it's one thing, you know, it's one thing. Come on. <laughs> right. Well, you know, again, they, they, they probably have a little bit larger fan base. Um, uh, and to me, it's like, yeah. it, it's better to sort of space it out and, and, and pace it and, uh, let people again digest the stuff um, and really get to know it. And and the conversation again with Bryn today was like for us, it's fascinating to like put these songs out here, and we know personally which ones we like. And he and I may even have different personal favorite ones, but it's always fascinating when we talk to people like you or the you know we've got a guy ollie in germany at um radio tfsc i believe it is okay, and sure. uh he's been pumping a couple of these songs hard for like a year now um guy up in canada who runs a podcast limbo cast he also is got a uh rock rage radio show on monday nights and he devoted one whole night to just like an interview he did with us and then played like over half probably like three quarters of the album and oh, wow. for us it was fascinating just to hear what did he pick what's he gonna play you know um and because uh, i don't like you know people are always like there isn't in my mind a single off of the album you know um it's just like, whatever you want to play, man, you play it. Um, it's going to be cool because we like the whole record. But to me, it's more fascinating to go, wow, they picked that song. That's interesting, you know? Um, 
and you know when we get fan feedback about stuff that's great too you know occasionally you know people just comment wow this is my favorite song you guys have done yet it's like wow that's cool i figured that that wasn't going to be like right up there but um you know uh, I, I was even telling Bryn, you know there were a couple of songs that i didn't necessarily look at as filler but i thought you know they're just maybe not up to the the rest of the record right. but then when i went back and like as i told him i said i haven't listened to it in maybe a month because you know we were just so close to it in the final days of mixing it and getting it ready to go and just making sure that it was as perfect as we could get it um I just said I put it aside with the idea of trying to focus on the new stuff. And uh, then I went back and listened to it, you know, maybe in late October and then again right around Thanksgiving, um, giving it a bit of time between each of those. And it's like, wow, it holds up. It's good. It's, you know, obviously there's room for improvement always, but very happy with the way it came out. It holds together. And even those couple of songs. One of them I even said, you know, I said, as I listened to it, it's almost like got some of the best production on the record. Just it, it was really simple. Uh, it was like one guitar from me, one guitar from him, the bass and drums. You know, some of the songs were like, yeah, let's let's double up this part and like, let's pick it up and throw in some 12 string. Oh, let's do this. And, you know, it's uh, not that it becomes a big lush production, but we're really trying to turn the air to cottage cheese a little bit. And um sometimes that is the most effective way to go and other times yeah. you know simple as you said real simple and just straight ahead stuff is oftentimes you know just, you know less is more i yeah. guess is what that distills down to so oh. no, very true it always seems to turn out to be that way no matter how things seem to build up as soon as you simplify them it seems to get a little bit more attention over time, you know, people start like, oh, we don't overthink this too much. You know, like you don't have to like put so much effort into thinking about it. This is something that makes you feel good. You do it. You listen to it. Definitely. Yeah. That's so, that, that, that would be my mantra. You know, I would have to um, ask you, I'm going to ask you another, just a, just a quick question. So what was, sure. what was the first show or the band that you heard that was like, holy shit, this is what I have to do? Ah, God, that's, I mean, yeah, that, what, that's what tough. What you to the hardest, like the first time that you heard it, and you're like, holy fuck, this is it. It could have been, for me, musically, when I was five and I heard Queen. And okay. My, my aunt, my aunt and uncle's, like loved queen they played queen all the time and something about queen like during especially during the the late 70s and during the 80s one of my favorite songs actually i'm gonna push queen right now one of my favorite sure. songs that a lot of people don't know about but i think it's one of their best songs is from the first iron eagle movie okay i if you go to, it was with Louis Gossett Jr. and he was helping some yeah. young kids save his father from a Vietnamese prison or something. And it was, the song's called One Vision by Queen. All so right. To me, I... for some reason, that was one of my favorite songs from Queen, but Queen really got me into music along with Clash. I was introduced with, like, to Clash and Queen around the same time. So those two really kind of got me interested in music and got me feeling it. What was it like? What band like that or or show that you went to that grabbed you and was like, "I'm gonna be a musician. I'm gonna be an artist. This is the life that I've chosen." Wow, um, and that's interesting because those are two awesome bands, but they're you know not so closely aligned not on at that. All spectrum of music um and you know for me being in that same position i you know i was growing up as a young kid during the 60s so yeah. i was exposed to the beatles and you know you aren't going to do in my mind any better than that i was fortunate yeah. that both of my two best friends were kind of 
probably what we would call accident kids so that they had <laughs> siblings that were 10 to 15 years older than right. them. Therefore, you know, while we're in elementary school, these kids are in high school and, um, you know, one of them, his brother was probably playing in what would have been like a sixties garage rock band. Okay. I remember being up in his room and like the Vox organ set up up there. Okay. And, um, you know, so that can't be discounted at all. That is like right. probably one of the most major influences on me, although it may not necessarily come through in the music. One of the things that a good friend of mine, another kid I played in a band with, always sort of maintained, he goes, if you don't have a good tune, you're dead in the water. You know, you can be the best guitar player, the best drummer, the best singer. But if you don't have what people want to hear, it doesn't matter. You know, conversely, you may not be the best singer or the best guitar player, or the best drummer. But if you've got the songs, people still will want to hear them. Um by way of a band that actually made a huge impression on me, um, seeing them was Mission of Burma, who oh, wow. uh, yeah, a local band from Boston that oh, yeah. you probably know of, and they're that that's blood and guts stuff, you know, not yeah. for the faint of heart, which um, is okay. I've always sort of envisioned that same thing. I remember actually uh, the Fin de Siècle band got to share a stage with. Peter Prescott's band Pure Group in the 90s and uh, to be able to just talk to him as we were carrying equipment on and off stage and passing by him and you know I told him at that point I said you know I really respect this group that you're in but Mission of Burma was really it for me and uh, I'd like to believe there's sort of a little bit of Burma and <laughs> not everything that I do but in a lot of the stuff and you know there some of those influences are hopefully showing up in ether dome you know yeah. you know i don't want to sit here and list off influences that bryn may have had but right. uh bands like the 13th floor elevators sid barrett's pink floyd oh, wow. as opposed to the later day pink yeah. floyd um, you know the doors and the birds are 60s bands um you know moving into the 90s bands like nirvana and veruca salt and people like that. how do you feel how did you feel about the mc5 growing up Love the MC5, and in fact, one of the best compliments that was ever paid to um, us as Fin de Siecla, which, you know, Aram and I snickered about, was someone that saw us many times. She said, you guys are like kind of like a cross between the MC5 and Blue Chair. Oh, and wow. I thought, I'll take, I'll take that. Yeah. If, that if that's, that's the last one. compliment I ever get, yeah. I thought, that, that's, well, that's what we want to be, man. Yeah. Um, you know, Jimi Hendrix is a guitar player that cannot be touched in my mind. I am not of that skill set, but I sit there and, you know, Steve I'm always blown away by really this. Hard. He tried too hard. And I not to make that an unpopular statement, no, I but I think you, I so, many, so many people like trying to do the Hendrix thing really are like overplaying and overdoing it and every time i see jimmy doing it it's like wow he's standing there he's got time to chew gum and he's not even playing right now and there's right. shit pouring out of that amplifier and it's like everybody else is like in a flurry of notes and trying to just play as much as they can and he's <laughs> taking it easy and uh he's making it look easy and uh you know, there's stuff like that. Can't you know? Again, that's that showmanship. That's that whole other aspect of um, the art form. Yeah. You know, uh, I had a friend, a very talented painter. I'm going to give him a little plug. Vincent Crotty. This guy, he had a show. He put the show up on the walls. It was fantastic. And then he decided during the actual opening event, he was going to paint a portrait. I forget who he got, but somebody sat there for him, and he actually painted a portrait during the opening. And I thought, Vince, you're supposed to be here relaxing and enjoying yourself, and you're putting yourself under. And not that he couldn't do it, but I thought, you know, it's like you've already done all the hard work. You know, you've even built your own plans. Yeah, so, right, exactly. But it was something you wanted to do, and I thought, that is just going for it, man. Um, it's, it's a great thing, and... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I am happy that I'm able to spend my day involved in these sorts of pursuits. And, um, 
you know, just look forward to again getting some more music out there for you and everybody else. And uh, no. again, really appreciate you giving us the time to sit and talk tonight. No, I'm looking forward to the stuff. Um, please, whenever you feel it necessary, send it to me. I'll post it wherever you tell me to. I'm a part of all okay. the weird. I'm a part of like every social media app that you can think of, and I don't even understand half of them. Um, <laughs> I just got my no, first cool. AARP letter in the mail last week, so. Yeah, those are a drag. Huh? Yeah, those are. I'm like discounts. Yay! I'm old. <laughs> Motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it happens. Yeah. It's actually it's, it's better than the alternative. No so shit. you know. I'm still here, right. so I'm lucky. Right. We actually yeah. lost uh, five people last week in Gainesville, and it was uh, uh, it was a rough week. Uh, that's no, that's yeah. COVID's yeah. Been, COVID's been pretty rough on this town. Seeing that Gainesville's a bar town, uh, it's a music town, live venues, so we've been pretty beat up. Yeah, hammered. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you can well, imagine, I'm sure you all have dealt with the same thing. But Scott Ferguson from Underdog and all the other bands that he mentioned, which are way more than I've <laughs> only been in three. <laughs> so way That's more okay, than That's okay, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's all right. With the knowledge of music that seems to be way beyond mine, I appreciate you so much coming on to the show and taking the time and um, – you know, tell me your story and just sharing your, uh, your travels of your life with me. And I appreciate it. You're welcome, Jason. Uh, again, I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to just sit and talk tonight and look forward to the next time we can do it. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it as well. Again, I'm, I'm going to post this tomorrow night and I'll send you the stuff your way. And uh, like I said, whenever you're ready to chat again, you just hit me up and I'll be ready to rock and roll with y'all awesome all right man all right peace Scott. out dude yeah peace man thank you so much yep bye